The room has filled. It's very nice to be back in this space. I was here for the opening, and uh, about a year after that. It's been a couple of years since I've been back down now. Hmm? We had grown up a little Bodhi tree for you. Mm-hmm. And then thought that we'd come down sometime. And then another friend came and said, Can we have that Bodhi tree? <laughs> Please, Aya, for our temple in Santa Rosa. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we can grow another one. <laughs> we have a parent tree. <laughs> So we can grow. Hmm. Now I even have a seed from the tree in Bodhgaya. Hmm. If anyone here knows how to grow a seed very well, let Mary Grace know, and I'm happy to send the seed here from the from the site of enlightenment, the, the tree that's growing above the the diamond, the Vajrasana. In, in Bodhgaya mm. if you'd like to have one of those babies here yeah. I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying all this is a sound test so if you're not able to hear me because I'm very soft spoken either tune your ears in strongly or think about moving forward So your guiding teacher, Mary Grace, has asked me to speak about three things. I'm going to just review review them in my mind. Uh, the first, a little bit about how I came to this path. Um, the second, about the development of our women's monastic community here. And the third, about the recent full ordination of four women in Australia. I'm looking at the number of nods to see how many of you know about this. (coughs) I was asked to speak about it once before in another place where only a few of the people present knew about it. (laughs) So I understand that a number of you here have heard about this. I had uh, uh, I participated in that ordination in a key way. I'll say something about that as well. First, uh, Mary Grace introduced us as nuns, and surprisingly, that's actually a word that I don't hear very often. Surprisingly. Uh, for the monastics in Burmese tradition or in Thai tradition uh, actually they don't call us uh, nuns they call us lady monks (laughs) and if you if if we go to our local Thai temple and one of our friends calls us a nun there then the Thai people will be (laughs) (laughs) just made a kind of breach of etiquette which is hard to understand but for them uh, nuns in English means uh, women who are wearing white 
who are not fully ordained mm. or who are not even considered novices within the tradition but are officially uh, officially long-term lay monastic retreatants officially legally according according to uh, according to the, the law of the Sangha in Thailand or in Burma um, so uh, I was looking into the word monk and nun a little bit in English history and I found that uh, one word is from Greek and the other is from oh, Latin, yes? And in fact in Greek and Latin Christian traditions you had both male and female monks and male and female nuns from those traditions. I said, well, where did it break up then? Why do we use the two of them in different ways for different genders in English? I was trying to, trying to research the history of that. And um, I found that in Welsh, Old Welsh, it's a root of English, one of the roots, yes. Uh, in Old Welsh, I found this interesting bit of history where there, there was a monastery, and in the monastery, the superior, male superior, was the nun. And the rest were monks, <laughs> ordinary monks. <laughs> <laughs> How did it come to be like this? I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> but I've been a bit of a history buff for these things, and that's even more recent history, and uh, even back into the old history, uh, Buddhism, uh, other Indian traditions, Christianity. But I'm going to um, I'm going to go back into the more recent past. Uh, here in the United States. Um, being a, a, a young girl growing up in America, uh, land of the free, home of the brave. Um, I watched TV, saw movies, read magazines. On TV, I saw Kung Fu. And uh, mm, amongst the TV shows I watched as a young person, I loved this uh, this the sense of the wandering seeker, the inquirer, the learning on each stage of the journey, each each day unfolding new new discovery of truth and wisdom. Uh, I loved that. Star Wars, <laughs> The Lord of the Rings, and more than uh, the little guy. <laughs> I thought of myself as a young person living in Oregon, northeastern Washington State, deep countryside, as you know, very little, not important, small town. Yes, uh, but the little guy triumphs over greed and hatred yes gave a kind of strength and encouragement and uh, uh, again there's the archetype of uh, learning developing being tested along the way yes National Geographic I saw images of uh, 
have orange-robed monks in exotic environments. And uh, then there was a, a friend of a friend of the family who, who returned to the U.S., who had actually become a Buddhist monk in Thailand for three months. American. Oh, you've done this exotic thing. Mm-hmm. This is you know, 30 years ago. <coughs> and um, uh, I, I wanted to know if I could do that too. Huh? And he said, oh, yes, but sorry. If you are a man, even a young man, um, yes, you could go do that. There's temporary ordination, and you could go do that. But sorry, I think I was already a teenager then. I had my teenage rebellion mind was already <laughs> already on. So I heard that. And, hmm. Not so sure. <laughs> um, if, where is it? Bilbo? No. Frodo? Mm-hmm. If Frodo could throw that ring into the fire, <laughs> then <laughs> little girl in northeastern Washington state, oh, I'm not sure the answer is no. <laughs> I'm just telling you from, from American culture and media. You get these ideas, yes? I heard from another friend of the family who had been down to Shasta Abbey in Northern California. Here we'd say up to Shasta Abbey, right? They have been down to Shasta Abbey and they said, no, in Buddhism they have male and female monks. Shasta Abbey does. They have since more than 30 years ago here in Northern California underneath the big white mountain. And um, I heard that at that time, and I thought, yes, that's my Buddha. <laughs> Just telling my, my teenager's mind at that time. Yes, that's right. The Buddha was enlightened. And also, I read some old books, and um, sure enough, and um, yeah, there are the, uh, the, the bhikkhus and the bhikkhunis. Uh, in, in the Buddha's lifetime, in the old books. Yeah? Mm. I thought, yeah, right, not just a modern American innovation. The Buddha himself did that. I had that in the Buddha's lifetime. Mm. Who says no? The Buddha said yes to that. Yeah? I thought at that time. But it was a while before um, before I saw my, my opportunity or... Um, had the real internal <coughs> internal life impetus. Um, I had no idea at that time. There were no Buddhist monks around my town. I had no idea how this could be done. Yes. Hmm. But that way-seeking mind was there, and uh, just just awaiting, just awaiting its chance. Yes. Um, like, uh, like, fuel just waiting for a little spark. So um, I got a chance uh, 
a bit more than 20 years ago at least um, uh, to go forth in, in white robes and um, which is normally the, the first stage of entering into monastic life and uh, to go to Europe and then to India but I was 10 years early for, for the re-establishment of the Bhikkhuni Sangha in India now that happened a decade ago but that time I was 10 years early yes not yet uh, not yet Buddhism is just really uh, really in, in these past couple of decades starting to revive in India much more again yes actually died out for a while even it was uh, western archaeologists going and treasure hunters yes and going and uh, and trying to find from old texts these places and digging them up and you know even even when I was a young girl there were those who doubted that the Buddha even had existed as a historical person mm-hmm. right but the evidence started stacking up more more and more yeah? and uh, now uh, the, the Bhikkhu and the Bhikkhuni Sangha are, are revived in India once again um, when I was in India then and um, really feeling the aspiration to go more deeply into monastic life and there were some friends who offered a ticket either to Bangkok or to Hong Kong cheap tickets out of India they said if you go to Bangkok again I heard this similar similar thing if you are a man and you can just go as you are penniless and you know just with your with your aspiration and a monastery will receive you and um, uh, and, and you'll be fully supported in going forth into monastic life, you know, all all support is there. Uh, but being a woman, you should have your finance on hand before you go, <laughs> and your whole support system, because you may not get a lot of uh, material, or moral, or emotional support. You've got to have that well in line, well in hand yourself before you go. Uh, otherwise, may not work too well for you. Uh, and so I was really honestly warned in, in that way. I was told if you go to Hong Kong, on the other hand, or somewhere into, into northern, we say East Asia, then ancient Bhikkhuni Sankhas are there. Women's monastic community will be there to receive you, to welcome you, to train you, to ordain you. And um, I went north. Yes? Because, uh, not for any love of Mahayana over Theravada or anything, any kind of... I, I didn't even know so much about that at that time. Just a little bit, yeah? Uh, but really, I had already given up my life here. I had, I had finance, even as a teenager here. I had my place, my work... Yeah, all of all of these things, yes, 
I had given that up to go to go forth, and I didn't want to have to go back in that process. And actually, for that reason, then decided uh, decided to go north. And there was some encouragement at that time. Now we have World Wide Web. Then no, yes. <laughs> that time. We didn't know a lot about the monastic traditions there, yes? And for the, the women's monastic lineages and traditions that were there in Northeastern Asia, yes, Chinese and Korean, and you know, didn't know much about that. So there were those who encouraged you know, going and, and learning and uh, researching and gave encouragement and support for doing that. At that time, I didn't care much about the research, really. I just heard on the Dharma Bomb circuit <laughs> from amongst other, other, other path wanderers in Asia that um, uh, I, I heard about where might be good places to go to, to check it out and uh, ended up making my way to the mountain forest meditation tradition in South Korea mm -hmm. and to a bhikkhuni teacher, a very great uh, abbess of a, a large training monastery out in the Leaping Tiger Mountain Wilderness. That's in South Korea. <laughs> and loved the mountain forest meditation tradition. Very simple rustic three-month retreats through every summer, rainy season, winter, snowy season. A lot of meditation, a lot of silence, great mindfulness, deep perceptivity, uh, presence, awareness, and this wonderful rugged simplicity, fresh air of the mountains. Uh, I loved that. Yeah. It was actually in South Korea that I encountered the Thai forest tradition. Ajahn Sumedho came to visit that very monastery. It turned out that my venerable Bikuni mentor knew him. They're in fact born the same year. <laughs> he had been there. And um, there were other monastics who came and uh, came, came to visit from Amravati Monastery in England. And uh, I heard more about that tradition. It wasn't until coming back here to the United States, to Northern California, actually before the beginning of a Bayagiri Monastery, which is up north here in Mendocino County. It wasn't, it wasn't until that time but I actually really had a chance to meet and to be with monastics of this tradition. And I have to tell you, it was very inspiring to me. As I had studied, I learned about the Buddhist monastic discipline. And I knew that there were Christian monastics in the United States who didn't use money, even who didn't drive. And... Um, 
I learned one thing, something that the Buddha is supposed to have said not long before he passed away, uh, into ultimate final nibbana. Uh, he says, as, as I'm passing now into final nibbana, let the Dhamma and Vinaya be your teacher. Right? Someone had asked, who will be your successor? He didn't name a particular person as the successor. Yes, The idea of lineage actually developed later, became popular later in Hindu traditions, and then that, that developed then and really caught on in a number of Buddhist mm-hmm. traditions in a very great way, in a very strong way, the idea of lineage. Yes? But not, not there. If we look, if you did a now a keyword search of the Pali Canon on tipitaka.org, <laughs> do a keyword search for the Pali word for lineage, can't find it in the Pali Canon. Mm-hmm. Not there. Yes? Interestingly. So the Buddha said, let the Dhamma, Vinaya, be your teacher. Not only the Dhamma, the Dhamma and discipline. Yes, he was speaking to, be, to monastics. Now we often use the word monastics rather than monk or non monastic. Um, so at that time, when I first came back to the United States then, as a monastic, as a novice monastic then, there wasn't really anybody around who was living and training themselves in monastic life with the original monastic discipline. In my heart, it's a kind of, maybe kind of American conscience. I felt like if I undertake those precepts, like I don't want to undertake precepts just as a ritual. If I undertake precepts, I want to train myself with them. I want to keep them. I want to see what this training is that the Buddha left, that's there. We can think a lot about it, and I met lots of people who are thinking about it, like what if we did that, and why we can't do that in this culture, in this time. For other things in the Dharma, I found and been taught by those who I think are great teachers that the way you really know is not just thinking about it, but by doing it. Yes? You know really deeply by experience. Even is enlightenment possible or not? It's the one who's had that experience that will tell you definitely, surely, yes. Right? The rest of us, we may hope so. We may think so. We may have a tentative, hopeful faith in that. But it's when it happens, or when you see that happen with somebody who you know, that you really, that, that, that trust, that confidence in the reality of that experience becomes unshakable. Yes? That's by doing it, by the living experience. So I had this inclination with the traditional monastic discipline, but it wasn't until seeing the monastics who came and founded Abhayagiri here and seeing them doing that, 
seeing them living that, that I got that kind of, and, and seeing that that seemed actually to be a pretty good and inspiring thing in many ways. That gave me the confidence. Yes? Um, real living example is excellent. It's like the difference between a living teacher and a book. The book is great. Also, the book can come to life. The words in our own experience can come to life. Meeting with a living teacher, slightly different thing, especially if you really connect with them. You see that in life. Yes? Oh, this is what it really... This is the living manifestation of this. That gave me courage. Having lived in South Korea for a while, it's completely normal for there to be bhikkhus and bhikkhunis for everybody there. They've had it since the beginning of their tradition. Long time, no controversy, no stress, no question of is it modern or not. Just normal. Yes, they understand it happened in the Buddha's lifetime. They've had it for as long as anybody can remember and completely normal. Full training, education, support, all of that was there for me with the women's monastic community there. And yet, there was also this love related to the South and Southeast Asian Theravada. Still, it didn't die. Didn't vanish. Yeah. After ten years with my venerable Bhikkhuni mentor, she gave me independence and blessed blessed my going ahead with with living as a Bhikkhuni in in this tradition. I had already been fully ordained in this tradition here in the United States, in Southern California. When I was ordained, nowhere to go with others like me. Yes? <laughs> there wasn't at that time. Even I, I came back and I had been staying at a, a Korean temple and I came back after ordination and talked to the abbot and the abbot said, what are you going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> and um, there, there, there wasn't that time. Abayagiri was here. Then, a couple of men's monasteries, two or three places where there are Western Western men in training. Maybe one or two in, in Asian temples and a few other places. Yes, no, no place for women in in this tradition yet. Then at that time. Yeah. So I visited. As you may have met in the past, perhaps you met other nuns wearing brown robes or maybe other color robes who were who are visiting in this area. Yeah. Mm. One time when I came to visit and stayed for a little longer time, 
I think there was something that happened that uh, that I would call a critical mass. So staying for a while, then, then there were people pestering the monks at Abayagiri, and also I was staying at the Thai monastery. It's a little bit north of here, and pestering, pestering the abbots too much. We want to have the female monastics here, and what about the ordination, and shouldn't there be a place, and, 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 and this kind of thing, yes? And so I think they were feeling a little bit of pressure from that because of their compassionate hearts. Yes? I think for, for those who have compassion and know anything of Buddhist history, then also we understand, yes, enlightenment is possible for, certainly possible for both men and women. The Buddha did found orders of male and female bhikkhus. Bhikkhuni means the female bhikkhu, yes? Um, and in this modern day and age also here in America it seems like what the Buddha did long ago seems to be pretty good for us in this regard it seems to make sense yes? so they were getting a little pressured and me too I went on retreat with Ajahn Sumedho at Spirit Rock no peace for me I went into the bathroom someone's waiting there for me <laughs> you're ordained how can I and are you going to be staying here where can I go And hmm. what's going on under my cushion I come onto my cushion I hear a little I mean, what's going on there a note is there yes <laughs> several notes are there <laughs> I had lunch with Ajahn Sumedho and, and I think Ajahn Amaro was there also. They were receiving notes too. They gave the notes to me. <laughs> Can you talk to them? <laughs> so that, that was happening. That was happening around that time. Came out the door. Another note. Putting the lady is there and two hundred my row. Open it up. Can we talk? <laughs> well, it's supposed to be a silent retreat, right? <laughs> Where? In the restroom. <laughs> Take a walk down the hill. Ajahn Sumedho said, All right, you, you can have, we'll, we'll arrange for you some private interview time with a few <laughs> of the ladies. Take a walk down the road. And, um, but I was a visitor at that time. No? We didn't have any, any kind of establishment. And, uh, and so there was, there was all of that, there was all of that interest. Um, I, I went to consult with a monk who's been a mentor of mine and um, um, he did this thing that I would call the push he had been talking to me already when I visited there for about five years saying um, why don't you start a monastery I'm too young <laughs> starting a monastery is hard work I like being a recluse, to be free. Yes? 
And um, next year, two years later, I visited and um, why don't you start a monastery? <laughs> At this time, then, then there was the push, push thing. Have any of you ever seen in Tibetan Buddhism this uh, uh, painting of Mahakala? Mm. Have you ever seen this very like big, ferocious-looking, benevolent guardian deity? <laughs> We're supposed to scare away all of your defilements <laughs> in your give you give you courage and uh, uh, defilements inside you are supposed to see this fear image and <laughs> uh, get scared away right so he he did his best mahakala impression <laughs> on me <laughs> I never saw before oh very sweet gentle Thai monk always speaking nicely to me all those years I've known him never said a harsh word <laughs> and and suddenly, suddenly he did this Mahakala impression. <laughs> and he said to me, Now is the time. <laughs> if you go away one more time, don't come back and bow to me as teacher. Mm-hmm. Again. I, I would bow three times to him as a mentor. Elder, elder teacher, already been mentor and guide of mine for for years before that, and I'm oh, I hadn't cried in a long time, years before that. <laughs> I went back to my lodging and oh dear, <laughs> what am I going to do about this? Teacher says, I can't bow. I can't bow to him as teacher anymore if I'm not willing to go ahead with this. Really putting the push, push on. Yes? I considered about it for, uh, um, oh, maybe day and night, for about three days. And then thought, okay. How many friends here do I have? <laughs> and um, I hadn't been keeping records of those notes, you know. I'm looking up my sleeve because I'm remembering the one that was actually the friend put came came to me <laughs> put up my sleeve. I didn't keep it, yeah, because that time my habit was not keeping anything. It just. Let really practicing with letting everything go, not accumulating anything, mm. not not trying to no idea to store up supporters or 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 friends or make anything really. I sat down and I thought and I wrote down a list of twenty twenty people. It's five years ago. Okay, I wrote down twenty uh, twenty friends. I could remember and actually had contact information for <laughs> or knew how to get in touch with and uh, and went ahead with that so here um, just in the East Bay um, we started the first uh, small, very small also in rented space uh, monastery uh, for, for women uh, in Theravada, first one in the Western United States, five years ago, yeah. 
that time, not so many of us, maybe, maybe five of us here in the United States. Now, five years later, um, bhikkhunis, seminaries, novices, uh, we've had quite an explosion. Uh, now, upwards of 40 in 10 different places. Yeah. Quite a bit of growth here in that. Yes. And uh, on that, that list of 20 friends has expanded really exponentially <laughs> to the point that really, I, oh, it's a good thing that the technology <laughs> has, has expanded as well, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and that's happened in other places too. Yeah. Germany, also Australia, there's one monastery that, that went ahead. And um, I started getting asked to go also to, to different places for, for support for the, the very fledgling women's monastic communities there. That's what led to going back to Australia. I say back because I think I was there in the womb yes, before coming out in the world this life. Um, so I went to Australia a couple of years ago and um, that time Ajahn Brahm and the women in Ajahn Brahm not founded, but became the second abbot of Monastery for Men in Western Australia. That has just really grown and flourished beautifully. And the people there wanted to have a women's monastery as well. And uh, so then Ajahn Wayama, uh, a nun who was ordained by Ayakema first, then was invited to come and, uh, and be be the founding, founding pillar, founding teacher for a women's monastery. So according to what was then the norm in Sri Lankan Buddhism, Ajahn Wayama ordained as a ten precept nun, like being a female novice in terms of precepts, but actually a little bit different in terms of status earlier on. And she, she went ahead with, with that, at that time, a lot of people still believed that the, the tradition of full ordination for women in Theravadan Buddhism was extinct and couldn't be revived. And there are still people who think so. At that time, mostly people thought so. But we have now, with the maturing, with the maturing, of, uh, of Western Buddhism, we have those who have become really excellent, excellent scholars uh, of the old texts, yes, of the Pali texts. Those who are excellent scholars uh, in terms of comparative uh, textual traditions, like Venerable Analayo. Some of you might know his Satipatthana, Foundations of Mindfulness book. 
very excellent book. It's brilliant for this. Yes? Uh, Ajahn Brahm also. Excellent, excellent scholar of Vinaya. When it was pointed out to him in Vinaya, small place, one line, it says, monks, it's the Buddha speaking, bhikkhus, I allow you to ordain bhikkhunis. Pointed out that one line, never taken back. It's there, yes? More than 50 years ago, there are only a few, not so many monks who would have memorized the entire Vinaya by oral tradition, yes? Or learned the Pali language to the extent able to to really to be able to read the texts in Pali. A few. Now, again, we have World Wide Web. Yes? You can see the entirety of it in Roman script online. (laughs) 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 Pali language classes on the internet are there. (laughs) Books and those who've who've learned it, again, those who've learned it really well. For me, when I was fully ordained, to learn, I told you about my aspiration, to learn about the women's monastic discipline. Ajahn Tanisaro, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who some of you may be familiar with also, yes? Very prolific in his, uh, in his Buddhist writings. And he did great work with the men's monastic discipline. When I was fully ordained, there was that for me to study. Fortunately, a whole lot of it is shared. The, the majority of it is shared text, so I could use that. But specifically for women's monastic discipline, a special text like that is not there. So then I had to study too. And a pretty good mind for it. Not too bad. And so I began to study also deeply. I promised to study for two years after my full ordination. That would be normal to be able to, to learn it. But without a text there, Yes. Actually, that two-year study took me eight years. <laughs> and still we haven't published that text yet. But coming much closer, coming much closer, uh, studying this, I got encouraged to, yes, looking into it deeply, deeply myself. Yeah? There's, there's a lot that's there. It's uh, excellent in terms of wisdom. A lot that's there that's very, I think, looking deeply into it, understanding it broadly, very affirmative, very encouraging. Some people who have looked into it not so deeply caught on a number of things and felt not affirmative, yes? But depends on how deeply you look into it. And if you look into the layering that's happened over time. Looks to me, from having studied it a bit more deeply, like what is there in the older strata? What we think is like the oldest strata of the Buddha's teaching actually seems, to my mind, 
very suitable for our contemporary situation now. In terms of Dhamma and in terms of the, the view that we get of, uh, of the men's and women's monastic life. Some people say that I'm, uh, or may, may think that I'm radical in, in this regard, uh, to think so. Um, but when I look at uh, when I look at the older uh, the older Buddhist texts, like Perigata, the verses of the women elders, it's considered to be an old text. In fact, it's the oldest body of women's religious literature that we know of in the world at this point. Yes. Uh, I look at that, I find in those women's verses not a single mention of gender discrimination coming from the Buddha or from the bhikkhus. Yes, things in their society, actually things that we could hear today as well, despite all of our pride for our equal equalness and all of that, there, there are the things that people say that are gender discriminatory. Yes? That such, such phrases are around. I heard them growing up. Yes? On both sides. <laughs> hmm. uh, we, we do have that too. So we find them mentioning occasionally these things from their lay life but not even a single mention in the entire body of that literature of any such discrimination from the Buddha or from the men's monastic community that they lived contemporary with. Uh Maybe they're more advanced than us. (laughs) After all, I think, oh, they they were living with the Buddha. Many of them were enlightened fully, completely, arahantas. But in later, uh, what are considered to be the texts that were recorded later, uh, later strata, yes, next several hundred years into the you know, thousand years, uh, it does appear. Hmm. And, and we find the cultural environment changing. We find then the arising of Dhamma Shastras in Hinduism, laws of Manu, quite strong changes in Christianity, Muslim religion coming into India. We find uh, we find all of these cultural cultural changes happening. Yes, in which uh, the what seems to me to be the older egalitarianism in Buddhism. Uh, would have been uh, mm, really different compared to what was becoming popular in other other religious traditions which were growing and, and spreading in societies. Now, we love to be affirmative about religious pluralism in the United States. In Thai Buddhism, also past kings were affirmative in that way, putting Buddhism and Hinduism, even these laws of Manu teaching, both to the forefront 
affirming both of them. And in Thailand, to this day, yes, this, like laws of Manu teaching, still, everybody, everybody learns that. Those teachings actually might even say that women can't even be enlightened. <laughs> Some of them, yes? Not all Hinduism. Certainly not your yoga center. Yes? <laughs> but, but, but those teachings are there, and other, kind of, other kinds of things are there. So when I was invited to go and do what seems very natural to me, because, uh, uh, because of living in a way that's uh, in these last years uh, of really being fully dedicated to supporting women in entering into and, and living in uh, this monastic way of life, those who have that aspiration. Um, when I was invited to, uh, to go to give full ordination or to participate, not me, Sangha ordains into the Sangha, in fact. I acted as a preceptor. Uh, preceptor is just a facilitator, yes? Uh, but the Sankha receives into the Sankha. Uh, when I was invited to participate in that most natural thing in the world for me, for, for my heart uh, to do, and to think, think of sharing that, that possibility that I've been so very, I don't know why, so very fortunate to receive myself. Like, I got lucky, came up through the cracks somehow. Don't don't know how even really it's a mystery to me, but just got really lucky. But uh, wanting to uh, allow that others could have that, uh, who have that aspiration, could have that chance. So I'm looking at the time now, and it is eight thirty. Good to see you, and um, and thinking that. We were going to pause at 8.30, yes? Yes. And um, mm, for those of you who need to leave at 8.30, then I want to let you have the space to go. And for those of you who would like to stay on for a little longer and have any questions, I welcome them. And maybe just to say that um, the teacher done this evening will be offered to Ayatata Aloka and to the her hermitage so uh-huh. if you want to support them, the teacher Donna Basket is the place. Yes, now we have a hermitage coming forth. Yes, land has been donated on the Sonoma Coast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to see if I can get a ride up Bay Street from anyone, if anyone's going in that direction. Or it's like Bay Mission. I need your So... Um, those of you who need to leave or want to leave, feel free, and then we'll regroup. And those who have questions for Ayatita Aloka, please hang with us for another moment.
So those of you who are staying, we could move a little closer forward, maybe. And, um, You can mention it to them, but I think they're all kind of geared and something to People just have questions. Yes. Yeah? Uh, welcome. Welcome to any questions that are there. Hmm. Or curiosities. One of the things that I've found to be true about yes. monastics of all varieties is that it, they really are fine with questions. So if you don't know what to do with a monastic, you ask. Oh. <laughs> if you are curious about this or that, about full ordination for women, or if there's something that that Ayatata Aloka said that you didn't understand, ask. They're really, really great with questions, and no question is too yes. small or too large. All lonely. right, with all kinds of questions. Yeah. So. Hmm. Could you tell us more about the Hanukkah and Ah, I would be glad to. Um, what would you like to know about? Is it built? Ah, uh, not built. <laughs> 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 And uh, I think we may actually be slow in building, except for some very, very simple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, land was given to us, mm-hmm. and uh, it's off-grid, and we're actually not interested in putting it on-grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is uh, completely uh, forest and meadows and creek and mountain. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think we would like for it to remain uh, really pretty simple mm-hmm. for a while. So it was logged a number of years ago. It's now fairy ring redwood forest. It's grown up substantially. Um, and um, hmm, so old logging roads are there. Really quite, quite grown over, but still there. So uh, in this last year and a half, since the land was gifted to us, uh, we've opened up one of the logging roads, we cleared it, and two landings, one to be like a monastic commons area and the other a, a, a more public commons area. And um, we've had a number of retreats there, uh, both individual and, and collective camping retreats. Intense. Yes, intense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which in in that area, you know, right there, right on the coast, it's more windy and more chilly. But that's just off the coast, and that particular area is just like just in around in the mountain, just enough to be more protected. 
even over Casadero, it uh, I think the weather is more extreme, like it gets mm. much hotter and uh, and even colder there. But uh, that that area is very, mm. it's like so beautifully uh, protected. Yes. So uh, uh, actually, much of the summer tent camping or even camping without tent is is really nice. You can just sleep with the stars as your roof, and that the weather is really beautiful and mild. And uh, mm, it's been being used. Actually, not that land, but the the land just across from there has been being used for um, women's mindfulness and nature retreats already for the last 25 years. The, mm. the Dharma Creek Sangha camp is there, and um, uh, there's kind of um, group camp area along the creek, and uh, a whole number of other places where uh, where people. Uh, also, also have their individual wilderness retreat meditation time, and uh, just backside the other side, Padmasambhava Peace Institute. Is it Peace Institute? Padmasambhava Peace Institute, I think, mm-hmm. is uh, just the other side of the mountain towards towards Casadero. So we have these very wonderful, very wonderful mm-hmm. neighbors there. Other side is ocean. Um, we do have one neighbor. <laughs> Also, another side of the mountain. Um, so, three trailers have been donated, which we have on the commons areas, and we've been fixing up. A drinking water spring has been found, and the water there is good for drinking. Um, mm, there's enough sunshine for a small solar system for starting, and a yurt has just been donated to be our. In our, our common our common meeting areas, and we have a, a kitchen trailer and an office trailer and yeah, in, in our commons areas, and um, then um, uh, I think just a couple of months ago now, also uh, there's a friend who who donated for the first kuti or or kutis, so to have little little meditation huts little cabins and, and then another friend said they'd like to too and then, then another friend said they, they would like to as well um, so I think we will have the, maybe some, some platforms for camping and meditation and uh, uh, a few kutis for the monastics there and uh, also for, uh, for the lay friends who'd like to come and, uh, and have their, their time in monastic wilderness practice uh, or you know, really lay retreat style and the, the Dhamma Creek Sangha camp next door now we're just across the, the creek from each other um, so I think we look forward to having a really you know, a nice kind of symbiotic relationship with one another um, because that's become kind of like a very small kind of forest meditation village or something really just with a little place here here and there, and um, uh, so that's awesome. that's how it's going. We're looking at micro hydro also. I think um, micro hydro. Uh, yes. <laughs> you sound very high tech. <laughs> no, I sound high tech. Uh, have you seen a water wheel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, small water. Small, small water wheel turns. <laughs> 
on the creek that flows through and makes electricity. Uh, very small, minimally environmentally invasive. So uh, when we've had retreats with uh, with our Bikuni Sankar gathered together there, um, especially this last one, there's interest in coming together for a longer time. We've just had like one week or ten day retreats there together. Uh, and then individual retreats mm-hmm. up to this time. And uh, uh, But the, the, the wish has come for, for the Vasa for three months for the, the summer retreat season to get together for the, the first time. You heard me mention that there are you know, now more, more women around, uh, around the United States, all of us quite independent individuals. Uh, but the wish is growing for coming to, to practice together not only as, as solitary recluses and maybe teachers of this group or that group uh, here and there, but really, really to get together, practice together as Sankha. So we're going to be doing that uh, hopefully this summer. Um, that's for the first time. Um, that's the, another kind of gelling, yes? Mm-hmm. Having the whole thing gel, people have thought. Yeah. So if you're all there together this summer, yeah. how how will it how will the food offering be done? Mm. Is so that is that some is there some way that we can be? There's not going to be forty be of us together. Right. Maybe seven or eight, I think, for, for uh, novices and fully ordained women. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's been happening when we're on retreat before is there? Uh, people who came out to share part of that retreat time together, uh-huh. uh, who who offered food during that time. Uh, also, we've done alms round, going down to the local Dharma Creek Sangha Camp village. <laughs> <laughs> My last retreat time there, I had I was invited for alms round to two of the cabins that are in the Dharma Creek Sangha Camp. So I walked walked there for alms. Even it's very stormy. Uh, <laughs> Somehow it was never actually so bad just at the time for walking for alms. I, and for people who came, there were people who came in. And uh, I didn't expect actually that so many people would would come from near and far to, to offer a meal and then mm. spend time and just sharing in the Dhamma after the meal together and taking a walk and meditating on the land a bit. And, uh, uh, I, 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 especially with the weather, I thought maybe nobody will come. <laughs> but uh, but friends did. Uh, and that was the case when Sister Surijana and Aya Sobana had retreat time there last last winter. Sister Surijana is a novice, so she can still store food. And people had, had offered food here that she brought, brought up there, but she came back with more food than she went with. <laughs> 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 and we heard that there were even eight friends who had signed up for coming to offer Donna who weren't able to come on the list. <laughs> they have to be next time, next, next retreat. Yeah, we were so, there for a month. Yes. Month um, January. Right. Even and that's supposed to be the coldest and worst weather. And we found that my, myself too. I just had a couple of weeks of January retreat time, and I think it was the coldest, worst weather. <laughs> Maybe not coldest, but certainly most stormy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, still, 
Also, a friend Tess went up with me, and she said, "You know, if if, if no one else offers, I will." Uh, a friend loaned a cabin to her, and she said, "I will, I will be your village." <laughs> and um, um, but she also came down with <laughs> lots of food, didn't she? As people people had offered, mm-hmm. given food to her for for that time. Uh, for this summer, there are a number of friends who are not many, two, three, four, who are monastic life aspirants have already said that they'd like to come for a period of mm. that time just to be able to be together with women's monastic community and have their own retreat time in the forest together um, and who, who've said that they would like to offer support for, mm. for the retreat at that time and normally when there's a, an established place of monastic practice also that's uh, that, that's how it works mm-hmm. um, so there is the, the openness for those who are aspirants, for those who simply would like to uh, to spend to spend that time um, in in monastic like retreat themselves with the monastic community, and um, that land there is really it has uh, maybe because there's been spiritual practice around it already for decades. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's 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 very benevolent somehow, and uh, I think just even just being there, even even if it, there weren't you know monastic community there, still for most of us now, I see when the friends come out and spend time there, how how de-stressing, how refreshing, how healing it is just to you know, just to be in the forest and uh, and and to spend meditation time there. And uh, off grid, and uh, to be a part of doing something that, uh, as as those of you who have done things to contribute to this place being here, you know, uh, being a part of contributing to uh, to others' practice in this kind of way also does something very good for the heart mm-hmm. and. You know, when when that's a part of your own practice, when that comes together and you're you're together with other fellow practitioners, um, there's this this wonderful thing that happens. I think the Buddha was really wise about uh, about recommending. Mm. You know, I I appreciate Lotus in the Flame also, yes, uh, and those those who are sitting on the city street in New York as witness. Um, or in Auschwitz, or uh, yeah. uh, I, I appreciate uh, that also, and and I think there's there's something very important when we look at Vinaya, even for us, related to our not being able to store food. Yes, means that we are supposed to. We're living in the forest. Then, walk mindfully with all of our practice on into a village, into a city, and have contact with with the people who are there. But that's like the uh, proving ground in some mm-hmm. way, kind of proving ground for our practice. Yeah. And not only one way, but two ways. 
I think this relates to, to, to my mind, this speaks greatly to the Buddha's great compassion. Because at that time, there were those monastics who lived deep in the forest in caves and lived off of roots and fruits and, uh, uh, or, you know, fasting for, for long periods of time. Yes? People who are in town don't have a chance to, to see them easily, right? They've greatly withdrawn. That's like the model of really withdrawing from the world. Yeah? So, I think for monastic life, for the middle way, something if you... I think Robert Thurman mentioned this. If you look at the uh, most recent issue of Buddha Dhamma, there's a, a panel discussion with myself, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, Robert Thurman, and Reverend Jan Chosenbase mm-hmm. on monasticism in the West. In the latest latest edition of Buddha Dhamma magazine. I think Robert Thurman was saying that he... He had an insight into the into the middle way, and this aspect of the middle way related to Buddhist monastic life, and this, you know, for monastics not being right in in the midst of worldly life, but also not being hermits who are completely disassociated from it, out of the world, completely secluded. Right? So we have a model of that in Christianity also. Uh, but but in the middle. And we see this, this in this one precept of not storing food and not cooking for ourselves, requiring that we have contact every day that we're going to eat on a on a daily basis with with those who have that ability. Yes? Not without our practice, but with with our practice, and that that be a kind of a mutual proof I think I find that for myself yes would you call it a mutual benefit yes I would yes certainly yes definitely Hmm. Um, question time like this also I think invited to school sometimes actually I really am really interested in the questions that kids and young people mm. and people studying comparative religion that they ask yes for me that that also is that kind of that kind of ground yes sometimes it, it brings up things that aren't touched in any other way yes it's easy to think that we're doing very nicely when we're secluded and everything is quiet and peaceful and and it's very beneficial to have that it really, really, truly is. And yet, when when the, the nurturing of that environment is there and our practice really gains in that ground, then there is the space, there is the container then to be able to... And, and walking mindfully on alms round is a great way to do this. And there are other great ways too. But you, you come in contact with the triggers. Yes, for various things. Yeah. and then, but really within within the context of the training, yeah. you know your work. Then, yeah. Uh, 
so this isn't only for monastics, of course. Not at all. I think you have that just in coming together and having this this space that's dedicated to to meditation, and uh, it's it's quite a, a safe and secluded space with the support of friends who are here. But then you bring that practice out, don't you? And uh, then uh, this this evening and tomorrow and uh, what you're living in your life is also that that kind of proving ground and working working ground with it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's uh, that that part is quite full on the the monastic life, living with the monastic discipline fully. It's a strong container. Yeah. A very strong container for the practice. And yet, there deliberately there are the places uh, of mutual benefit that are written into it. <laughs> I like how you said that. Um, I adopted your words. Yeah. I was curious. The hermitage yeah. is it a, a women-only space, or do you have male visitors, or monastics, or? It's yeah. a good question. You know yeah. um, well. Mm, we are still discovering how we are going to be doing this. Um, <laughs> however, uh, it's meant to be a women's monastic hermitage, which means with, uh, uh, with uh, women monastics in residence and those who are uh, in, uh, in, in process, entering into monastic life, with space for male visitors. We actually have even, even considered, even considered, uh, what with having Ajahn Chandiko there, he was the the first <laughs> he was the first male monastic stayer there, yes, uh, for for the training that we invited him for, and um, mm, uh, we have even thought about having you know secluded space, having a male monastic kuti there in one one part of the land. Uh, if if we would like to invite uh, a teacher to come for some time, if and and out of gratitude for for the time that Ajahn Chandiko shared, <laughs> so uh, meant to be a women's monastic hermitage, and uh, that uh, male visitors will be welcome. So in much the same way that Abhayagiriya's room. Very similar. Yeah. About the Gary has that now they have the, the women's the women retreat house, house right. there. Um, so that that is there, mm-hmm. yes. This is not meant to um, not meant to be everything. What do I mean by that? Um, mm, I think it it is very good to have uh, men's and women's monastic communities like Santi Forest Monastery or the Bhavana Society. Bhavana Society is here on the East Coast. Half half the land is for male monastics and, and male retreatants. Half the land is for female monastics, female retreatants. They have their common area. Santi Forest Monastery in Australia is also like that. I think that's very good. I also think it's really good to have the places that are for just for male monastics and just for female monastics. I think it's really good to have both. And uh, it, it seemed to me over time that there are those who who benefit more 
with being in one kind of environment or or another. Mm-hmm. Just for how we are now. Mm-hmm. For the great variety that we that we are now. And I think for those who live in a women's monastic community, for example, I think I would recommend that they go to spend time, sometime, in a mixed community. Because there's a kind of learning that can happen that doesn't happen in a one-gender community. And for those who live in a mixed community to come and spend some time. Maybe they don't have to stay for very long, but come and spend some time in one-gender community and see, see what that's like. And I think there are things that can be learned there, in that environment. They can't, or are hard to, to learn in a mixed community. I, I say this having lived in both myself and having, having seen different kinds of uh, uh, dynamics over time. Um, single gender communities in monastic life can be supportive and can be calm in ways that mixed gender communities generally are not. Mixed gender gender communities can teach things uh, that I think are very important things that sometimes might not be learned in a single gender community that are are really important. Especially if it's a, I, I want to say, a good mixed gender community. Um, and you could ask, what do you mean by good? I had to die loca. That might be, I don't know if that would be a question or not. Um, but I have, I have seen the mixed gender communities um, where... Um, Mm. I'm actually thinking about visiting I've visited Shasta Abbey before for a length of time and then on a number of occasions they are completely egalitarian mixed gender community and I found that there were things that I learned there and there was actually a kind of I would call it a kind of healing or balancing Mm. that happened that I didn't experience in other places and I know for other monastics if I think about some of the monastics who have visited from other places who have never had that experience for our Western Buddhist monastic conference when it's been there in private conversations I've heard this kind of thing from them too and what it is to be there in, in that together and change of perspective and change of mind opening of possibility in the mind I think it's been so true that at mm-hmm. least in the Theravadan world what yes. few mixed communities there are mm. have not been egalitarian yes right and so the, there's it's not that there isn't still some benefit but yeah. I know we heard pretty clearly from Ajahn Santachita oh. a few weeks ago how, experience, yeah. how important it was for, for that group of nuns to leave yes. and come here where they're living in a women's only yeah. community and have their own sense of authority and leadership. Yes, and, yes. and yeah. that in cases like like that, in this particular case, I actually think that this that's an excellent thing to do. And I know I've experienced for us having our own place here related mm. to 
Thai monastery, Burmese monastery, Sri Lankan monastery here, related to Abhayagiri, how that relationship has been with us having our own independent mm-hmm. place and our own our, our, our own group, mm-hmm. uh, our own teachings, and th- then the way that we relate to one another uh, with there being that is is very different. Yes. Mm-hmm. Compared to mm-hmm. what what there has been within, I think within the community at Amravati or Chithurst or uh, like that, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's very very different kind of relationship, and I think that's a healthy a healthy step. Mm-hmm. It's challenging for Western women to be in community together. they had actually tried this earlier on Hmm? and then at at that time they were not ready for it yes Hmm. right right I remember yes and and I understand now over over these years I've come to understand something of the challenges I've lived in Asian women's monastic communities strong independent Asian women's monastic community yeah and for uh, for the Asian women there they grew up with there being a hierarchy in society and within their own women's community South Korea women are strong in society and in other forms of spiritual life they've had women Taoist priestesses and women shamanesses uh, woman shamanists there is considered superior yes and the majority uh, of them are are women so people have this that, that that's that's part of their mm. part of their society yeah but just in in lay society in the family there's a woman's hierarchy and women's uh, women being with one another in family and in community it's strong in the society yeah we don't have that now here in quite the same way mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think for, for from what I've seen for the men entering into um, mm, uh, entering into Western men entering into Buddhist monastic community, it seems that men take more easily to the hierarchy, hmm. to their being seniority, and that that can easily become a strong basis for the structural form hmm. of the community. For Western women together, if if there are men and women together, yes, the hierarchy thing can also still work in some way. Or just women together, yes, but different. Yes. So mm. we're in the process of discovering also what that, mm. what, what that, what that difference will mean. So I've had the, the kind of, uh, kind of koan. Yeah. Uh, like Shasta Abbey, they have the same discipline for the men and women. Yeah. In the Vinaya. The majority of the discipline is shared, but there's there's a lot that's unique to the women's monastic discipline. That, according to the history, actually, that's developed within the women's monastic community itself by their own sensibilities of what they felt was well for them. 
and by the circumstances that they encountered in that time. Yes? And um, mm, I think there's that part that has also happened um, in the men's monastic communities over time, that there's a, a gap in Theravadan Buddhism in the women's monastic communities for that for that happening. Um, and it seems that it, it takes takes the living of it together to discover what those um, what is called for actually in terms of differences. Yes. Mm. And the the example that we have is actually to to allow for that. Yes? How do we keep our mind well well balanced in that? Yes? In one way egalitarian, in another way allowing for the actuality of, of what we are and how things work for us and really what it what it is for us to live in the practice together. Yes? So this is the the to say experiment, but this this has been the practice for us in in these years now, and uh, and and it will continue to be, I think. Um, so there's there's the discovery, the discovery part of it. We find male model works great for some part, but doesn't feel completely completely comfortable. Um, and then how to how to how to adapt and adjust with that? Uh, how to understand the example that we have through deep study and deep reflection and working with the example that we have from the ancient women in this path and from our other contemporary uh, women's monastic communities. Yeah. So this is. Uh, is what we're working with. Mm. That we, we Western ladies, tend to be this very interesting mix of strongly, <laughs> strongly independent, with also soft and and needing the support of one another. But it's very also very middle way. Not too much and not too little, right? <laughs> mm. So finding uh, finding that good balance uh, for us with with one another. Yeah. I'm aware it's getting yes. to be quite late and you mm. have a drive ahead of you this evening. We do. So um, maybe I'll let, if anybody has any burning questions, they can come on up, but I think we should move towards closing. And I really mm. want to thank you for mm. coming and sharing with us. And I hope you'll be back sooner than another two years or whatever it's been. <laughs> or maybe we'll come to you. Actually, you know, that's a nice idea. Yeah. But shall we invite you? Sure. We'd, I think we would like to invite you to, out to the hermitage to visit. Invite us and we could bring food. <laughs> but, um, from here, you know, from, from our place in the East Bay, no traffic, straight going, no stops, about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It's not as far as a Bayagiri, but almost always some traffic unless you go in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. early morning, 
Uh, and mostly the ocean is so beautiful along that route. Mostly people want to stop at least a little bit. Because <laughs> it's just, just so incredibly beautiful. Um, but you would be very welcome. In fact, I have a little field trip. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be wonderful. Our Bodhi house is not so far away. Of this course. is true. Uh, not quite as far away, but uh, so I would I would like to welcome visiting there uh, for the Hermitage. If you would like to make a field trip, especially if you wanted to do that during during the Vasa, mm. uh, I think that that would be um, I think it would be wonderful oh, if you'd like can, to do we that. We can have some conversation yeah. about that. Mm. See what we can set up. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yes, the the Dharma Creek Sangha camp also has its it's it's camping potential, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so, which is just <laughs> just across just across the canyon, <laughs> just across Dharma Creek. It can be the Vipassana um, Santa Cruz summer camp expedition. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I've been encouraging that because I think um, that there are a number of retreat centers where, um, like Spirit Rock. It's actually really well provided for there. Yeah, uh, nature is beautiful, and but you, you don't you don't really experience don't its ruggedness or its wildness so much. Yeah, and I think being really close to it, and for all of you who've had camping experience, you may understand this. Mm-hmm. Um, you you understand what's going on uh, in nature and in our own bodies in much more of Mm -hmm. an elemental way and the fragility of of our life on on this planet and I think it's actually really really useful to get a good sense of that in one's life Uh, I want to say especially now but actually any time every time because of a lot of us not having that sense or losing that sense we've done unwise things uh, harmful for ourselves yes and I think um, just having that experience even for one night or for for a few days actually can really uh, really get us in touch with that and a kind of wisdom comes up from it that then bring that back into the world it's not out of the world but but if that wisdom is informing your decisions in in your life, I think um, I think we need more people. Uh, or I think it it will be good for us if there are more people who have that that type of direct experiential wisdom, making decisions in society. And let that inform your livelihood mm. and. Uh, what you choose in voting, and um, and what what you choose to do, yeah. Um, hmm. So if you haven't if you haven't had some experience like that, or if it's been a while, and a refresher would be good on that. <laughs> then then talk to Mary Grace about <laughs> about coming up for camp. <laughs> <laughs> there sometime because I think that that's something also that will that will be possible mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. yeah great uh, we've we've been talking about that and I've been trying to encourage that oh thank you hmm hmm
dedication? That would be wonderful if you would mm. do a little dedication of merit for us. And we would be happy to. <clears throat> There's a chant that we often do. Please. Okay. If any of you know it, welcome to join me in chanting. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. This is what should be done. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the
may think about sharing that as a blessing with our loved ones those who are near and dear to us whether human or not human the young or old still to be born already passed away whether one or very many near or far may you also receive the blessings of my life for all those that we love and cherish and hold dear all those dear ones that we don't know many nameless faces and all of those that we have any unresolved issues with may these blessings be a kind of balm bring ease and peace into the sky downwards into the depths of the earth outwards and unbounded we share loving kindness compassion appreciation and joy a heart of great freedom peacefulness over the entire world outwards and unbounded freed from hatred and ill will to all the myriad forms of life and to ourselves with thoughts of loving kindness may we be well may we be happy
Thank you very, very much. Mm. Um, nice to spend the evening here. Mm-hmm. Thank you.